0: Well, good morning. Um, If we've not met, my name is Ben Robertson, and I'm the RUF campus minister here at William & Mary, and I would love to meet you afterwards if we've not met, and especially if you're parents, if you're family visiting uh, your your students here. Thanks for being here, and I would love to to talk to you afterwards. So um, if you've been around Grace Covenant lately, we're going through the book of James, and last week we looked at the passage, you know, faith without works is dead, we're going to take a break from James and look at Philippians. Um, the, the preceding text of what we're about to read, uh, Paul has been talking about, uh, to this church in Philippi, a Roman colony, has been talking about unity, and unity through humility. And a couple of weeks ago, Camper preached a sermon from Ephesians. that's sort of a parallel passage about, uh, to, to what Paul just said. And then Paul will go on immediately following the passage we're going to look at today and talk about obedience, what we looked at last week. And says, therefore, as you used to obey in my presence, so much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act for his good pleasure. And this passage we're going to look at is sort of the thing that connects those ideas of humility and service, this mindset of humility, and then obedience in response to God And here, we are going to focus in, and if if you've been around RUF this semester, we've been looking at Philippians, and we just keep dipping into this passage constantly because it sort of bleeds all over the book. We're going to look at this uh, focal point on Jesus here in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. So Philippians 2, starting at verse 5, Paul writes, "'Have this mind among yourselves which is in Christ Jesus, or yours in Christ Jesus.'" so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would show yourself to us this morning, that you would speak to us through your word again. Would you help us to see Jesus in all of His glory and splendor, and therefore transform us to be more like Him? We pray. We need Your help for this, and so we ask for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, several years back, my sons and I got into watching you know, these YouTube videos. I mean, we we are still into that, but uh, YouTube videos about a guy named Felix Baumgartner. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's an Austrian BASE jumper. And there were these videos where he would sort of illegally travel around the world. I mean, he was traveling legally, but he would get into these buildings illegally. Uh, Base jumpers jump off of tall objects, right, Uh, buildings. And uh, he would sneak in, and they'd have, like, the GoPro cameras all set up, and he'd, like, sneak through security and run up to the top of really tall buildings and then jump off of them with uh, his parachute and land. And th- there was a series of these videos, and he, of course, eventually goes to Dubai so he can jump off the tallest building in the world, and he gets to the top of the building, he's not supposed to be there, jumps off the building, sticks to landing, don't worry, some of you looked concerned, like, oh, where's this going? He made it, and I can remember, you know, he, uh, it was this uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous moment. And there was a quote uh, from Felix in one of these interviews where he says, we all have to set up a goal, which is hard to accomplish, and as soon as you reach this goal, you're so much more alive. If there are no goals left, what are you going to do? And so he moves along and moves along, and finally gets to Dubai, and sticks the landing, and as he's r- racing away, he's just exhilarated, right? Can you imagine jumping off of a building like that? And I'll, you know, he says some language, but then he points at his chest as he's running away, so he's not caught, and he says, tallest building in the world, number one, number one, pointing at his, pointing at his, his chest and running away. But I kind of wondered, you know, what are you going to do? He said it himself, like you've got more and more goals. He's jumped the highest building in the world, and now what does he say? I'm number one. I did it. And, you know, we, we all, I think, are somewhat like this, This is, if you will, this is our mind. This is our mindset. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. What is our natural mind? In our working relationships and organizations, I think this is why relationships can be so difficult, because in one way or another, we're all these Felix Baumgartners trying to climb to the highest place and eventually shout out to the world around us, look at me, I'm number one. I did it. I've accomplished this thing. I have to set a higher and higher goal, and the more I can accomplish, the more I can do, the more I can be, the more significance I have. And this is why we resent being treated like a servant. Resent being treated as less than another, being told what to do. This is why we get so frustrated when we are given a lower grade than we deserve And the professor must know, and my friends must know his name and how he gave me a lower grade than I deserved. When we expect a promotion or pay raise or praise or both, or when we are an authority and someone challenges that authority, someone who knows way less about something than you do starts telling you what they know about it. Do you ever feel that little bit like, okay, all right, thanks. Thanks for mansplaining it to me, right? for telling me all about it. Or just do what I asked you to do. Parents, you ever have that? Just do the thing that I said to do. Is that too much to ask? We one-up each other. My story's better than your story. My accomplishment, my semester abroad. My homework is harder than yours. My job is harder than yours. My personal anecdote is funnier than yours. We're all clamoring to the top of Dubai so we can jump and say, look at me. Number one just a higher building to jump off of. That's our mind. That's our way of thinking, our attitude, our spirit, to look out for number one, to be number one and look out for number one. And then the Bible comes along and gives us this beautiful thing that's the complete opposite. We see Jesus. And uh, Paul, in verse 5, where he says, have this mind, in the previous passage, uh, he's talked about unity through humility, and he has said talk about mind three times, have the same mind, one mind, one mind. He's calling us to together have this mind, one mind, with one another. The indicative of who Jesus is is driving this imperative of a mindset that we should have, the person of Jesus. And he's calling us to humility, unity through humility. And he's saying, how are you going to get it? It is in Christ Jesus, or as the ESV translated, it is yours. This mind of humility is yours, is yours, is in Christ Jesus. We get it through him, in him. So how do we get it? Okay, first, what do we see about Jesus? First, we see his humility. We see the humility of Jesus in this passage. And I want you to notice the several steps down Jesus takes that Paul shows us in this passage. First, it says being in the form of God, Jesus being in the form of God. Here, form of God means that he has a divine nature. It doesn't mean that he's just shaped like God in his form, but he actually is, in essence, God. Uh, It means the nature or character of something. The NIV translates it well, I think, saying being, being in very nature God. Now, this is church, and so I think a lot of us are aware that Jesus is God, but just bear with me as, as Paul is unpacking this. So he's saying he is God and that he deserves, therefore, to be in the first place from the start. That is who he is. Those are, it is his right. It is his divine right to have the first place, to declare to the world, number one. But then he takes his first step down. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Well, what does that mean? If he's in very nature God, why would he need to grasp equality with God? What's going on here? And it's, sometimes this passage is pointed to as a way to sort of mute Jesus's divinity, or or talk about him losing it somehow. And I, part of what I unpack for you, especially if you're taking like New Testament classes here and there, if you've read some higher higher critical work, this idea of Jesus being divine of being a late idea. This this passage actually teaches it very forthrightly and very strongly that he, he is uh, in his essence. It says he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Um, but here, you know, doesn't that contradict what we just saw? Well, here, equality with God means that of status or position. It, it's not that he is losing his divinity, but rather the position or status or clout uh, or recognition Jesus gives that up. He doesn't have to grasp that. What does grasp mean? Now, it doesn't mean that you steal it, though sometimes it can. It's not that he would need to steal that status because it's already his, but it does mean jealously guard or cling to, to hold on to, right? Like a toddler with that snack, right, and you're trying to pry it out, and if they're not supposed to, don't put the sand in your mouth, and they grasp it, they hold on to it, cling to it. It's not reach up for, but rather hold on to, to grasp for your own gain, to cling to it forcefully. So the first step down that Jesus takes is not clinging to what was rightfully his. He deserved it, it belonged to him, but his divine privilege and status he did not cling to. And then it goes on, another step down. It says, he made himself nothing, or could be translated, he emptied himself and again, some have gone so far as to say that Jesus lost his divine nature at this point, that he emptied himself of divinity. That's not what the text is saying. He did not cease to be divine in becoming man. Um, what the word does mean, though, is that not that he emptied himself of his divine nature, but that rather that he emptied himself. That he made himself small, that he made himself nothing. A definition could be that he completely removes, you completely remove or eliminate elements of high status or rank by eliminating all privileges or prerogatives associated with such status or rank. To empty oneself, to divest oneself of position. To give up the highest place. And not only, so not only does he not cling to what is his grasp. That's a passive. He doesn't cling to something. But then actively, he gives it away. He pours himself out. He empties himself willingly, gives it away. And the next step down says, taking the form of a servant. So we see Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Though he had every right to demand service, he comes and he washes his disciples' feet. And then what does he say in John 13? This is, do unto each other as I have done unto you. He's modeling this for us. Um, The early 1900s, the story I've heard of a wealthy white woman in Alabama, in Tuskegee, and uh, a black gentleman is walking down the street, and she needed some work done. And she said, you know, would you like, sir, would you like to make a few extra dollars? Would you want to come chop wood for me and stack it? And the man says, sure, I'd be happy to, to, ma'am. Chops the wood, stacks it in the house. She hands him a few dollars. And then her daughter comes up to her after the man leaves and she says, how do you know Booker T. Washington and why is he stacking our wood? The lady was very embarrassed. She knew who he was. He's the president of the Tuskegee Institute. He was well-known at this point in his life already. And so she goes and apologizes to him the next day, makes an appointment at his office. And he said, it's perfectly all right, ma'am. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor, and besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. Um, she then later, I'm told, uh, gathered her other wealthy friends and they made a large uh, donation to the Tuskegee Institute to save a little faith. Um, But his humility, she was overwhelmed by his humility, by his willingness to serve her, and he had every right um, to laugh at her. uh, And nonetheless, he, in his greatness, shows her kindness. And his greatness shows his humility. You know, sometimes angels are called servants uh, of God, and if we bumped into an angel, we would want to worship them. Right? They're overwhelmingly brilliant, holy creatures. Right. So there's a, even another step here that um, though we're uh, Jesus takes. Says so taking the form of a servant, and he goes on to say, born in the likeness of man. Jesus becomes a human being, the incarnation. Uh, Jesus takes on human nature. He is fully God and yet fully man. He is the God-man, being found in human form, being a man. Here this likeness equals sameness, born the way that you and I are born. Now we often talk about the cross, as we well should, and we will in a minute. But have you thought about the incarnation in the humility and humiliation of Jesus? Is that being a massive step down? As C.S. Lewis asked, you know, you might really love your dog, but would you become a dog to save your dog? Probably not. Jesus takes on human flesh. Why? So that he could be one of us, and so that we could be with him, and so that we could know him. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, skinned his knees as a child. He became a man for you and me to be with us, and to be one of us. Um, another story, At a there was a reception honoring uh, Sir Robert Mayer on his 100th birthday. He's in England, a, a British musician. And uh, this British socialite, Lady Diana Cooper, was there to, to celebrate, to honor Sir Robert. And she was talking uh, with a group of people, and she was chatting up the woman next to her and just really having a grand time, you know, just having a good time. And then she looked down and saw some of the jewelry on this woman that she's been talking to for several minutes and looks closer and realizes that they're the royal jewels and that she has been talking with Queen Elizabeth for the last 15 minutes, unaware of it. And she's, again, embarrassed, much like this woman with Booker T. Washington. And uh, she curtsied and stammered, and says, ma'am, oh ma'am, I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you without your crown. Because the queen was not wearing her crown. And Elizabeth said, it was so much Sir Robert's evening, I thought I would leave it behind. So she leaves again, she divests herself of her status and her privilege and blends in with the crowd so that this other woman with some failing eyesight was unable to recognize her. Jesus has left his crown behind and become one of us, for us. But then, as if that were not enough, his humbling goes even further. Um, Paul goes on, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not only is he willing to become a human being, but he is willing to suffer for us, uh, even death on a cross. And this is how humiliating it is. Here's a quote from Cicero uh, about crucifixion, particularly about crucifixion of a Roman citizen. So Cicero says this, it is a crime to put a Roman citizen in chains. It is an enormity to flog one, sheer murder to slay one. What then shall I say of crucifixion? It is impossible to find a word for such an abomination. So to crucify a Roman citizen, like any Roman citizen, guilty or not, he says to put them to that sort of death is an abomination. And for the Jewish ear, the Diaspora Jews, so we were talking to a Philippi, a Roman colony, and then there would be uh, the Diaspora Jews who would have been part of this congregation as well, at least likely a few. What does the Old Testament say? Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So this death of crucifixion where Paul says, obedient unto death, even death on a cross, even crucifixion, this shameful abomination of a death that Jesus, the God-man, suffers the most shameful death possible. Jesus is so the opposite of our mindset. Have this mind among yourselves. He's the opposite of me. He's the opposite of Adam, if you know the biblical story. He is Adam in reverse. He is the new and better Adam. Adam, who is made in the image and likeness of God. But what does he grasp for? He will be like God, is the temptation in the garden. So he grasps for the serpent's promise to be like God, to be offered equality with God, and he wants to grasp and snatch for that grasping what isn't his. He is disobedient, refusing to serve God and his wife and the creation that God made. And so he comes, a curse becomes death. He brings death upon us. But Jesus, being God, doesn't grasp but gives, who is God but takes on human nature, who serves, obeys, and suffers death willingly, not just a general death, but a cursed death, even death on a cross to Romans and Jews alike, an abomination and a shame. So Adam creates the shame through grasping, and Jesus takes on the shame through giving up. Why? Why is Paul telling us this? Why did Jesus do that? For you, remember? He loves you. He gives himself all of this amazing theology, this Christology that we're looking at, is all showing us the heart of God for us, for you, for his world, for our salvation. There's a wonderful movie that sort of slipped through the cracks. A lot of people haven't seen it. it It's a little old now. called Stranger Than Fiction, starring uh, Emma Thompson and which you know her from probably like a lot of Shakespeare stuff, like Much Ado About Nothing and all that, and Will Ferrell, (laughs) like Buddy the Elf. So so we we got like Shakespearean actress and Buddy in a movie together, Stranger Than Fiction, and Emma Thompson plays an author who's writing a story about a man named Harold Crick, who is Will Ferrell, and the first line of her book is that Harold Crick had no idea he was going to die. And in the movie, Will Ferrell starts to hear the narration of Emma Thompson's voice as she is writing a book about him, and it's real and it's happening. So he hears her writing the book, and then what she writes happens, and they end up meeting. It's it's the book, the movie is fiction. It's Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, It's the name the name of the book or the name of the movie. And but they end up meeting Will Ferrell and Emma, uh, Harold Crick, and the author. And he doesn't want to die. You know, he's telling her, like, don't kill me. Like, you're the author. Just don't kill me. But then she tells him the reason that he in the story would die. And he says, I won't spoil the movie for you more than this, than I already have. But he says, I'll do it. Yeah, that's worth it. And she says this, if a man knows he's going to die and dies anyway... Dies willingly, knowing he could stop it. You tell me, isn't that the type of man you want to keep alive? Love that movie. That's Jesus. He dies willingly. Isn't that the kind of man you want to keep alive? His character, his glory is actually shown through his willingness to die. He's a more worthy character. His humiliation drives his exaltation, which is why Paul says, therefore, God highly exalted him. His humiliation and his obedience, his fulfillment of his Father's will. So we see on the one hand in this passage, the humiliation of Jesus and these steps down, but quickly and lastly, we're going to look at his exaltation, his his glory. Jesus' proven worth, his glory is shown, his right to be crowned as king, even as God gives him the name that is above every name. It says, the name that is above every name, and that name is Lord. Now, this is an echo. This is a, sort of a hyperlink to the Old Testament. And again, uh, for the claim that the divinity of Jesus is a late adaptation in the history of Christianity, developing more like 200 to 300 A.D., and then is projected back. This, uh, this letter was written around 60 to 62 A.D., Here's here's what Paul is referring to from Isaiah 45. God says this, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out righteousness, a word that shall not return. Quote, this is the word of the Lord, the one God among whom there is no other, says the Lord, to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And Paul takes this Isaiah 45 quote from the mouth of Yahweh himself, and he says, God the Father has given this to Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name that every tongue will confess, and every knee shall bow and declare, this bold statement of Jesus' divinity from start to finish through this passage, and God gets glory too, and Jesus, in exaltation, which he refuses to share with any other God, in Isaiah 45, and here he gladly exalts Jesus with his own divine name, and it is mind-boggling, And then it finishes with this sober truth that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, some in worship and others just in submission. Some will shout out glory and praise to God, and others will say, I am so wrong. How did we miss this, the exalted Lord and Savior of the world? Well, how does this serve our humility? have this mind among yourselves, this mindset of humility, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I can understand how wanting to imitate Jesus in his steps downward in the service and giving up our rights and privileges and thinking of others as better than ourselves. But how does the glorification of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus, drive us to be humble, to give us this mindset? I'll go back to Felix Baumgartner. So he ran out of buildings after Dubai. There wasn't a taller one to jump off of. So he decided to jump from space, basically, the stratosphere, like literally. So he got in this pod with the weather balloons. And we watched this video of Felix Baumgartner. He had to wear like astronaut gear. And they go up and up and up in this little pod. And the doors open and you see just the curvature of the earth, even though it, it's flat, <laughs> right? We agree. Uh, but you, you see the curvature of the earth as he's up in the stratosphere, and he's sort of gasping for breath because there's not much time. Like there's really, this is a tight window, and there's like the, the crew on the ground and like all of the thousands of dollars that have been spent to send Felix to the stratosphere. And he steps out on the edge, after the hatch opens and he's kind of panting and he, he's sort of lost for words. He just says, the, the whole earth looks. Sometimes you have to get up really high to see how small you are. He pants into the microphone. He says, okay, I'm coming home now and jumps. 24 miles down. 843 miles per hour was his top speed. He created a sonic boom. He's the only human being to create a sonic boom with his body. Okay? He's an impressive guy. Um, Then afterwards, he gets on the ground. Remember what he yelled last time, right? When he gets to the people and they're like making sure he's alive and his oxygen levels are good, he says this. He says, when you're standing out there on that step that ledge before jumping out of the pod, on top of the world, you become so humble. In that moment, it wasn't about breaking records anymore. Remember what previously he said his whole life's purpose was to set another goal, another accomplishment, another record. But when he got a little higher than his little Tower of Babel, right, and saw the expanse of this world, this beautiful marble God made that we live on, he was brought to his knees. So Paul's saying, look at the humility of Jesus as he goes down and down and down. Let's go and let's be like him. And now look at who he is in all of his splendor, and his glory, the name that is above every name, that every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We will fall before him in worship. When we see him in all of his grandeur and his splendor, we fall on our faces in worship and humility. Felix told uh, Anderson Cooper after this event, that he just wants to fly helicopters for the local fire department now. He wants to serve, <laughs> he wants to serve his fellow man. Paul says, Have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. As we follow him down in his humility and as we bow on our knees before him in his exaltation, this is Christ. He is yours. He is for you. This is our mind in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are worthy of all praise and adoration and glory and awe, and yet you have loved us to the fullest extent. You've become one of us, that you've suffered and died for us, and Lord, that you rose for us so that we could have life. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Will you make us more and more and more like you? We pray by your grace. Amen.